Hi, I'm Sam Simon, and I'm the grandpa, and I always think deep. Hi, I'm Emily Simon. I'm the granddaughter, and I'm always wondering, in every conversation we have, why does grandpa always think deep? Well, welcome home, Emily. Oh, thank you, Grandpa. We're in the same room. Yay! You just finished your sophomore year of college. Oh, yeah. It's done now. I did it. Yay. <laughs> so two more years. Have you decided what you're going to do for the rest of your life yet? Not yet. <laughs> Still working on it. Still work in progress. Well, I have a suggestion for you. Okay. Not for the rest of your life. Okay. But... For the first 18 months after school. Okay. How about signing up for a year to 18 months of public service? Define public service. Well, there's AmeriCorps. I've heard good things about AmeriCorps. And then there's the Peace Corps. Which... Peace Corps. And then there's military service. Military service is not just 18 months, though, because then you're in the reserve for like 10 years. Well, not necessarily, but for some number of years. And therefore... Therefore, it's not just 18 months. But it is public service. That's true. Cannot be denied. So when I grew up, there was a draft. Mandatory public service. Yes. Military service. But not for everybody. For men, eventually. Not women. Just men. And yes, for everybody, unless you could prove you had... Disability. Well, no. What did what did Trump have on his foot? Bone spurs. Uh, bone spurs on your feet. Then you you got out. And if you had rich parents, you could figure a way to bribe people or get yourself out. Now this topic is popping up now and then again, and I would support the idea of mandatory public service for everybody. Like after high school. After college. Well, not everyone goes to college. Well, how about in an age range? So you finish high school typically at 17? 18. 18. Well, all right. So between 18 and 25. Maybe. Yeah. There has to be at least one year of public service. And that would be the nature of that public service uh -huh. could be described. There are, I've heard some talk about it again by some people, mainly in my generation, since we were faced with mandatory military, then you had the Peace Corps, which was... Voluntary. Voluntary. And other options. But other countries, and I believe Israel is one of them, has mandatory military, but it's often, depending on who you are, similar to public service. I don't know the other countries in the world, but it is an important way to help the country to become more integrated into a culture and to be of service to the public. It's sort of a way to give back for the privilege of living someplace. Although I always happen to think the place has to deserve your gratitude. Which right. Is another topic. Well, another thing. But what do you think about mandatory public service? I think it's interesting what you said about, what exactly did you say? Was it cultural assimilation or integration? Well, cultural integration and, and gratitude. Those are two very different things, I feel like, right? Right. Cultural integration is definitely a concept. I feel like when you say cultural integration, it's almost implying that 
certain cultures are bad and should be integrated into a mainstream culture. No, I'm not saying anything's a bit bad and I may not be perfect. It's an opportunity to learn other people and how the others live in the country, depending on what you do. And there have been, you know, I've heard people over time talk about how much their whole lives were shaped by the work they did initially in the yeah. AmeriCorps. Of course, it's true. I often say, you know, be careful of your first boss or job and may determine the rest of your life. Yeah. Because that's also true, because it can have a big impact. Yeah, well, you go one direction, and you just kind of keep going in that direction. It just wasn't where you initially thought you would end up. But the goal here is not to determine what your direction should be. It is useful for people, particularly young people, to experience being of service. And yeah. not everybody is in that position. And secondly, it helps fulfill urgent and important needs of the country that you're in, and it's a form of giving back. And even at 18... There are things to give back to. Like, what, when you say, like, giving back, like, what would this look like, like, in practice, day to day? Well, it's just you're giving back means you're doing a service. You're not doing everything for yourself. You're doing things for others. That's all I mean by giving back. You're being... Oh, there's a lot of room for interpretation. I don't think so. Oh, there's a lot of things that could go under that umbrella. Give me some examples that I'm not thinking of. Well, you didn't give me any examples. Fine, I'll come up with them. All right, let's talk about the concept of giving back. It assumes a form of gratitude for the things we take for granted in life and in place. So you're born in a country that's free. You're born in a place in which, in a circumstance where you have material yeah. and but other wealth. In the United States that people take for granted is utilities that work all the time, always. Because there are a lot of countries where electricity is really faulty. and Sometimes it just goes out for no reason. And same goes for internet or running water or anything like that. And I think that's definitely something to be grateful. You were born grateful that you were born in a country where stuff just works. You turn the tap and it works. You flip the switch and it works all the time, every time. That's a big thing. Yeah, you're way ahead of me. I'm thinking of food. Well, oh, again, that's not everybody in the United States has that. Not everybody in the United States has reliable utilities. But compared to the rest of the world, and it is not just that. It's about you personally. Everybody personally, they all come with different backgrounds. But... Giving back is also, it's both, as I'm using it, it's both a universal concept mm -hmm. and it is a specific concept. So, yes, it's true that some people are poor and we drafted the poor to be in the Army. Well, it's not that they're at the poor, it's that their utility companies suck. Or that they don't have services, like there's some people who don't have any water. It's deeper it's, than it's, that. No one, built out, no one built out any pipes to their homes. Well, actually, it's even deeper than it's It's the basic core of freedom and life and a place to live, and the due process of law, the ability not to be dominated or become a slave to people. You know, what could have been that you don't live in and which you're free of, and there is food. Most utilities do work, and you're giving back by being of service to those who don't have all of that. So yes, there are people who are poor, and they're pockets and there are places in the country where there's no clean water, those who've had it and grown up with it, giving back is being of service and working in those areas as one option. Mm -hmm. But that's the idea of giving back. It's being grateful. Now, a lot of people don't believe in that. And you almost, it's interesting that, you know, there's some people who think they deserve what they get and they, they're entitled to it. And people make their history. And so if their family worked hard and created this 
wealth and opportunity. They can be grateful to their parents, but not to the country and have no obligation to others. Hmm, that's interesting. I like the idea of this gratitude. Yes, I like it. I like that concept. So you say, okay, let's keep going down the example. I don't know how long you want to do this, but if we keep going down the example of utilities, obviously, if people are 18 years old and they're installing utilities, that involves training. Well, that can be, but see, utilities, they get paid. They have a lot of money, maybe too much money. They hire the people to do the work. Well, you have to train people to know how to do it. They can train the people. They can offer training programs. In fact, as a public utility, maybe we should require them by law to recruit a percentage of their employees from disadvantaged communities. I think that's a great idea. That's different. There seems to be some confusion in your question between a society that trains its people and the obligation of people to work in a low-page or volunteer position yeah. for subsistence. So by just the class global humanitarianism, and one of the things that we talked about was a lot of instances, infrastructure is being built by basically people from the West to get shipped in at very high cost. And they have to, sometimes be, most of the time they are trained, sometimes they have to be trained in order to do this work when it would be much, actually much more efficient and effective to teach people who already live there how to build that kind of infrastructure. And then they would have that training it would be less expensive because like the cost of living is less in those countries. They fly those people out to wherever you are, usually very rural areas that are difficult to get to and have high transit costs. And we talked about how it would make more sense to have training programs for people in those communities, teach them how to have that infrastructure and how to do it themselves instead of flying people in like kids on mission trips, and which is very expensive. It's a great idea. But I'm talking about here in the United States, every person in that age range having to work mm -hmm. in the American environment mm -hmm. on things that are determined to be, well, they're going to be given a choice. And the government sort of creates the programs for, it could be helping with utilities in Appalachia where people don't have it, could be helping to dig wells in rural parts where there's no clean water. It could be going into the military and protecting the country. It could be working as a caregiver in communities where the demand is high and the resources are low, could be working for a anything like that. But the government would set up the programs. Maybe a lot of nonprofits would register and say, we qualify, volunteer. For yeah, that's a really great idea of getting pre-existing organizations that do that rather than having the government set it all up on their own. Right. And I also like the idea of taking people and putting them into areas where there's high demand and low people willing to work those jobs. I think that's really important. But what bothers a lot of people, what's controversial about it, but when it's a military, is that it deprives people of freedom. It isn't just people who choose to do it. It's the government forcing them to do it. And of course, the draft for a while, it was just guys and you know they were doing it to sponsor a war where many, many people were being killed. But we've always talked about the need for young people to recognize the responsibility and to give back to their country and to sort of pay in service for the privilege of being a citizen of the United States. It's, A, we don't have such an idea. Oh, absolutely not. No. Prioritized choice. And yet there are a lot of people, there's, you know, right now, the baby boomer generation is turning 60s and 70s. Uh-huh. Well, that's right. I'm 
technically not a baby boomer. I'm technically a greatest generation or a pre-boomer. 46 was baby boomers. Yeah. So they're in the 70s, mid to late 70s, and mm-hmm. their need for caregiving and support is huge. And so one of the few things people are talking about is that if we had a universal service, a lot of the service needs and volunteer and nonprofits would be helping those communities. Mm-hmm. I am curious why utilities model popped to your mind, but I'm also interested in whether this is of a thought or concern in your generation. Is it much of it people pay attention to it? No. People have seen how crazy people went over having to wear a mask. And I think anyone is like, yeah, that's never actually going to happen because people are people didn't even want to wear a mask. And I feel like that kind of says everything. People aren't willing to give up or endure even the slightest inconvenience for the greater good. It never would politically happen that people would be willing to do that. So if we were going to have it, yeah, how would we do it? Like how would we make it happen or once it yeah. gets implemented? How would we make it happen? I think you just described the problem. You know, if we were going to have one, how do we make it happen and what would it do? Now, I think the idea that people don't want it or, or that there are all this resistance to common good things is the most important reason to have it. I think that the culture that has been developed since we went to an all-voluntary draft mm-hmm. is that there isn't an obligation, a moral obligation to give back to community and that we are obligated to also care for our community. And I think having a universal requirement to be of service would help restore that idea, right? Or not? I think people would just hate it and do the absolute bare minimum, and then they would pretend like it never happened. Do you sort of feel and see that in your your environment and among your colleagues, or is yeah. that from reading? Oh, uh, I mean, if you it was an, if it was a set number of hours, there are definitely people out there who would absolutely try to speed run it and just put in a crazy number of hours to get it done with, so they could do what they want to do. That's really interesting. So there is no because we're talking about just not a set number of hours. We're saying here is a year of your life, and you've got to sign up. You can pick within this range, but you don't have a choice. You are required to do it. It's part of the people who would pick something that's really meaningful to them, and they would do it, and they would really like it. And but uh, there are also people who would just hate it. But that's okay, right? That's true about everything in life. That's true. Well, I don't know. Would you think people shouldn't be required to do things they don't want or don't like? I don't know what the. I think there's a difference between like and want. I think people will say I shouldn't be required to take math yeah people will initially really wouldn't like it but i feel like as time went on it would become a normal thing and to think it's not what you're expecting your life to look like and so then you have the sudden requirement if you do this thing you weren't expecting but if people grow up with it knowing that that's what their future is going to look like it becomes a very different thing if you were it becomes normal if you were queen of the world awesome well how about how about president of the united states and you had the choice would you propose such a requirement i think your hesitation says a lot well here's the thing when people are given jobs where they're paid enough money that they don't need charity then you don't need charity at the risk of sounding like a trickle down economist if people are paid enough for the work that they do they don't need charity correct I'm not exactly sure how to make that happen. 
Well, there are always needs in a society and in a culture. You're imagining a world where everybody gets paid for their work, mm -hmm. a good salary or an appropriate salary, and that everything that needs to be done in the society will be done by people who are paid to do it. Yeah. And therefore, we don't need nonprofits and charities. Because people just are paid enough that they can buy their things. And we provide limited subsidies to people who are physically, mentally unable. Oh, so for people who are unable to work, that's an entirely different situation. The question is, are the needs of that population enough to necessitate having the entire... Well, like who? You say everybody, everybody. Like everybody would be doing this. But I guess, yeah, I guess there are always people who will need help in some way, shape, or form. Well, so far now, there are certainly the low-income areas. People come, immigrants. Mm -hmm. Now, it'd be interesting that a lot of people think that low-income parts of town and like are just the fault of the people who live there. They're lazy. They don't care. And they, they're not doing the hard work. You know, we came... Our great grandparents came mm -hmm. from Europe, and they found out, you know, worked their way up, and then we became middle class. Why aren't they used to be fine? Story. I'm sure they received aid like when they first arrived. You're right. People always need some kind of help to help them. Sometimes even to help get to the point where they can have a job where they make enough money to buy all their own thing. People always need help getting to that point, and that's okay. And it's not a bad thing. Everybody gets help. Everybody who got to that point had someone to help them along the way, and. Well, the country, the idea that core people, millions, and everybody does one piece of it. Remember, I'm saying it also includes military. Yes. So people could choose to... Absolutely, we need people in the military. And there would be millions of those. You know, again, part of the issue was the military for a while was sort of in this business of rehabilitating low-income folks since they were being drafted to, mm -hmm. and by themselves, they might have just gotten in trouble and gone to jail. In a highly structured military environment, they learned to the discipline and got that chance to be educated and ended up with either they could stay in the military or... Had the skills they needed to move on to have a career. So, okay. You know, we're talking about a country where you... There's no country in the world where you don't have people who are poor and lack the community resources to build strong communities and give everybody strong opportunities, right? Yes. We're lucky. We, and you're even luckier than me. We had to really work hard. Now you're, I'm just, but your generation is different than ours. How so? And, well, because most in our generation, there was not a very strong mental class. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, my grandparents came to this country. They were, they fled another country. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my parents, both sides, worked their way up. They were, you know, it's an interesting question that my dad, neither my dad or my mom had a college education. Mm -hmm. My mom didn't even have a high school education. Mm -hmm. And yet they were able to make a living and they worked hard. It came from a Jewish background of families where there was a strong ethic of working. And they were lucky enough that despite some tragedies in their life, they were able to live a modestly middle-class life of the time. But we have done very well. We've mm -hmm. become upper middle class and your parents, and so we're part of this generation from generation growing. There are still large numbers of people in this country and in the world who want to come to this country who don't have that opportunity and who are struggling and 
There are places where there's not enough health care and public service in those areas would be helpful. I don't think there's a lack of things for people to do. Yeah, well, you can I think you're right. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of need out there. The bigger issue is whether doing it, which I think you've identified it indirectly, is creating a culture of community and mutual obligation to support each other. That's what a community is, a group of people who support each other. But we are not hearing that today. I'm I'm worried about that there is this idea that people shouldn't have to do what they don't want to do. And every person for themselves and There's overcome no caring their, about other people. You can care for them. Or like the no people sense, outside your immediate circle. And there's no sense of an obligation and community to support each other. No, I think that's a huge problem in America today. I really do. And the idea behind mandatory public service mm -hmm. is an attempt to change that idea and to reacculturate. It did exist, certainly. So we call those who fought in World War II the greatest generation. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Well, I mean, they went and they fought, they came back and they rebuilt America. I wonder whether people could do that again today. One of the We're most interesting things I learned at college was about the GI Bill. And there was a very interesting argument saying the GI Bill was basically affirmative action for people who served in the war. It was affirmative action. It was saying you get preference for getting into college, you get preference for getting a home loan, you can get it lower, a no interest home loan or no down payment home loan, or at least low interest. There was preference for getting job training, all of that. And that that was actually what allowed America to really thrive post-war was this essentially, they didn't, the war didn't exist at the time, but essentially it was affirmative action for people who served in the war. And it wouldn't have been possible without government assistance and affirmative action. What do you think about that? That is a variation on a theme. So there are a lot of programs. Those are from what was called the New Deal, I think. I'm not sure whether the GI Bill came out of that. It was certainly post-war and Truman mm -hmm. and Eisenhower, I suspect. But it recognized their service, and so it was a repayment of sorts. Mm -hmm. And yes, it was affirmative action, and it, the both giving back and a recognition that for people to succeed and for the benefit of the country, you needed education. We also had military home loans, discounted home loans and mm -hmm. programs to give home ownership, which not every country has, and it became really more than anything else being able to own your own home and let it appreciate what created individual wealth in this country for the vast yeah majority of and it was affordable for people well it became affordable the va loans and other loans to get people into their homes created this broad wealthy middle class people paid taxes for that now you're going the other way maybe this is a form of the you know people don't like to pay taxes they also don't want to pay their share of the taxes. And nobody should have to do what they don't want to do. And then, you know, this libertarianism, I was trying to avoid using that word. No, it's, it's, that's what it is. Is if we're a population of ant hole, where we each had our own little hole that we get to live in and are all the little ants and you got to be the big ant and that thing. And that somehow that creates a uh, good society. Good society. And it, I don't think it does. I think retreating into your little corner and ignoring everybody else does not make for a very nice society. Well, not only it doesn't, but it, it is dangerous. It it creates a centrifugal force to destroy the... Which way is centrifugal? Out. Out, okay. You're right. 
That makes sense. Okay. I'm like spinning my finger. You guys can't see it. (laughs) The centrifugal force to literally destroy all the connecting bonds in the community. And so there are people out there today saying maybe we should break into multiple countries. Like it's complicated too. I mean, America is very big. It is geographically very big. And population-wise. And not the largest in the world, but yeah, and yes. Still big though. And? Well, so one of the interesting things about being in Delaware and doing activism in Delaware is that it's very, very small and it feels so accessible. You can go down to the state house. It's very small. Everything happens in the Capitol building. It's small enough that they have the chamber and all of the offices for everybody all in the Capitol building. It's all right there. Only so many people. And it just feels very small. It feels accessible. It doesn't feel big or overwhelming. It feels like you can really make a difference in your community and really make change. And you can talk to a lawmaker and feel listened to. And it made me realize, like, I think part of the reason people don't like the federal government is because it's so big. It's so big. And they feel like they're so big that and they're so small that they can't make a difference and it just does whatever it wants. And I feel like having a small state government, like, it, it feels more welcoming. It feels more like you can make a difference. And I think people are less scared of it because they don't, it just seems small and it seems like it's about this community right here. And it seems like it's more catered to the needs of this community specifically. And it feels like you can really make a difference and really have your voice heard. And it doesn't feel big. It doesn't feel scary or overwhelming. It makes me think like, I guess on the local level, everyone has that, but. So you raise a lot of interesting little questions. I I, I would love to explore all of them. Well, no, there and behind it is a big question. Oh, which is why I have a federal government? Uh, security. Why? Why? Why can't you have it locally? Why? Why can't you have a the United States trade? United, well, it's we, trade. Well, hold on. The United States be a like NATO itself. So we have fifty states, and we call them the Confederation for defense purposes. Okay. So they they cooperate on defense. Okay. But they're autonomous nations separately. Other than that, mm-hmm. well, it's only yeah. trade. Why? Because trade happens between states, and if supply chains were to be cut off between Why would they have to be cut off? You know, the one of the reasons, now we've really changed topics, but one of the reasons reasons for a federal government with a constitutional system wasn't that what you pointed out. And they could imagine that, what if you had to have pay a tariff every time you crossed the state border? So if you grew corn in Iowa, right. moved it to Delaware, could Delaware charge tariffs for Iowa corn because you wanted right? You know, so that's why they didn't have. But so much of that was also technology. You were carrying by horse and carriage, then just by trains. How did you account for it? You can do everything now electronically, mm-hmm. and in an instant. A lot of the reasons and fears for barriers and the incentives to not necessarily have. You know, you have these trade agreements with it between states to create roughly the same system. You can do it now because it's not so e- it's easier to do. With AI, you can do even more. So what is you know the compelling case for a single United States? That, let me I say think you laid out a pretty good case. There are people arguing that the cultures in the blue and the red states are so different that we could at least divide in half. No, but that's silly because cultural differences are not split cleanly because there's so much complexity to it, right? There's, well, every place has its own culture, first of all. Every town and every city has its own culture. Every region has its own culture. And some of those cultures happen to be more local cultures 
happen to be more similar to other local cultures that they're not geographically connected to than others. So trying to do a physical split is, I, I think that's just ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous because it's so, because the places that, that are culturally similar to one another are often not geographically connected. But, and I think but, that it would just make no sense. So you have all sorts of people moving to Florida because... It's warm. They, no, well... It's sunny. And there's beaches. And they don't have a state income tax. Delaware doesn't have the sales tax, but people don't really move there because of that. They just go shopping there. And they the just... <laughs> the huge number of people move to states that don't have... Texas does not have a income tax. Oh, really? And you now have the two fastest growing states in the country are Florida and Texas. And that's another sort of part of it. But the other part of this is the authoritarian nature of the local state of the states and of the country. And I think they're tied together. The, wait, wait, hold on. What do you think? Can you elaborate on that point, the authoritarian nature of the state? Well, the, I mean, what we're seeing, you know, you can't teach, you can't have these books in your schools. You can yeah. only educate your kids in this way. It's these so-called libertarians passing laws. I don't think they're pretending to be libertarians anymore. They don't call themselves libertarian. They call themselves social conservatives. It's not libertarianism at all. Well, A, you're right. B, I don't know what they call themselves. So that's a good I don't even think they have a name for themselves. Um, when do you get them? I, I would call them dictators, but it's as if economic well-being for a larger portion, the a percentage of the population is all that counts. But it turns on its head the idea and cultural and religious and belief diversity that oh absolutely and that creates authoritarian i believe getting to know people yes results in comfort with an appreciation for every human being yes and we are in an era where the loudest voices over separation and for exclusion and for trying to create homogenous communities not only communities, but racially and ethnically and behaviorally, not only look like us, but act like us, and we know the right way to be good. Yeah, I hate people like that. But that that's what, going back to the start, having a mandatory system where people live and work together in service for some part of their life makes it less likely that that kind of society develops. That the greatest generation in quotes, where people who had to live in, be in foxholes together, mm -hmm. depend on each other for their own life. And when they left, that they were much more likely to be willing to live in harmony and work for better communities. Now, look, a lot of the places, we evolved into exclusion again, exclusivity. And I think we have to work to keep a diverse and robust society and it isn't just about money mm -hmm. it's about knowing and respecting other human beings that's so true so that's the idea how do you get to that point in public service there you go we, we're gonna so we i persuaded emily's generation <laughs> she being the spokeswoman for that entire generation <laughs> we are going to have mandatory federally required public service right sure of course. And who's the president going to do that? The next Democratic president <laughs> of the United States. All right. Any last minute thoughts? We just have Memorial Day. We're about to head into 
the 4th of July, or we just had Mother's Day. How about Father's Day's coming up? I wish I had enough thought. <laughs> it's been 50 minutes of thought. Deep thought. Grandma went deep again. Oy vey. All right. Well, I love having these conversations, even if I you dominate too. them sometime. No, okay. It was, I, it was a really good conversation. I really liked what you had to say. All right. Well, thank you. Thank Jimmy for hosting and producing this. And we'll see you all next time.